morning. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. You know, there's something about the sound of children singing to the Lord um, that just pierces through our lives, pierces through our hearts, and um, just helps us see the gospel from a different perspective. When they were singing Gloria, 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 um, it, it just pierces through. Um, I think, you know, our lives are so full of um, busyness, and, and there's a lot of hard things that are going on in our lives in the midst of the busyness of our lives, and, and yet the gospel pierces through. Uh, it says in the Psalms, from the mouths of babes and infants, the Lord will declare his praise, and, and I think that's instructive for us, because as adults, we, as we get older, we get busier, more sophisticated, um, more self-reliant, and we need the voices of children to remind us that actually the gospel is very simple. And it's very true, and we need to hear it. And I was in a coffee shop, this is early on, it was probably 2011. Wow. Huh, power surge? Not sure. Can we get this? Can we get this one? Hello, hello? All right. There you go. Light in the darkness, right? Um, I was in a coffee shop. Long before I had an office, uh, 2011, I, I worked over at Crema Coffee, which is now a Korean uh, bakery as well. Great, great coffee. Um, but I was in this coffee shop, and I was counseling a young mother uh, who was new to the church, and her baby, she was with her baby, and she really needed to talk about how hard her marriage was at this point in time and how hard things were in her life. She was experiencing some postpartum depression. And so she was standing up. I was sitting down, and she started sitting down, so she stood up, and she kept on talking to me and pouring out. Her baby was crying. She was crying. She was being just so unbelievably vulnerable, and she had to be a bit loud to, over the cries of her baby, and several people around us were just looking at, at what was happening, and I think in some part, you know, they were uncomfortable with that level of, of vulnerability that this woman was showing at this time, it also led to me uh, convincing the session that I did need an office uh, because you can't do counseling like that very much. Um, that only lasts so long. But uh, the reality is that most of us don't want to be that vulnerable, and we find it uncomfortable uh, when other people, sometimes we find it uncomfortable when other people are that honest. <clears throat> and yet we, we, on one hand, want to be that vulnerable. There's a, there's a real part of you that wants to be honest like that woman, that wants to be able to have a place where you can pour out your heart as loudly as you need to, as, as, as uncomposed as you need to be. Um, there's a part of you that really wants that. There's a part of you that is terrified of that because when we, we really deeply as human beings are created to want to be known all the way down to the bottom and yet, in that vulnerability of wanting to be known, we've also been in situations where that has led to us feeling like we weren't heard or we weren't loved. Um, and so, in that desire to be deeply known, we also need to, that needs to be matched by love. It needs to be matched by loving understanding, which is only perfect in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we hope to find that in our community. I mean, I hope to be the kind of pastor that, that is able to love others when they share with me. But, but no one can love like Jesus. No one can love like that. 
And what we find here in the story this morning is we find Mary, um, who is um, utterly disrupted in her life. Um, She's probably about 13 years old. We don't normally think of Mary like that. The pictures depict her to be, you know, in her upper 20s. And she was probably 13, 14, 15 years old. Um, She had just gotten to talk about how babies are made not long ago. And so uh, this conversation from the angel Gabriel was was not on her radar. It was not on her um, personal development plan for the next year. Um, She was... She was utterly and totally surprised. What I find amazing about Mary here, and what we're going to talk about, is Mary's humility before the Lord. Um, somehow the Lord had prepared her at the, at the young age of 13 or 14 to be humble, and the Spirit had given her this ability to be humble and accept this direction from the Lord, whereas a lot of us, me included, and I'll tell a few stories, I mean, I need a lot more, I need a lot more work than that by the Lord to, um, dis- he disrupted me for me to receive his words. Um, but the, the, the keystone, the superpower really that God has given Mary is her humility. And now as soon as I say humility, that this sermon is going to be about humility, about a third of you are already watching the World Cup. And about the other third of you um, are like, oh, this is about humility, and now I really want to watch the World Cup. Um, because humility is not a popular value in our culture. Um, it's probably one of the least popular values. Maybe it's coming slightly more popular because we're so tired of narcissists right now. But still, we really don't want humility. It, 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 it scares us. But I'm going to show you today through the gospel that humility is really a key to happiness. Now, maybe that will get your attention because I think we all want to be happy. But humility is a key. It's like a pipeline where we can receive the love of God and the grace of God directly into our hearts. See, our pride and and our self-consumption actually keeps us from being happy. We think the more that we think about ourselves and pursue our own ends and dreams, that ultimately the more self-focused we are, the happier we'll be. But it just isn't true. It just isn't true. And the more humble we become... And the more we let go and the more we trust and the more we, we, we depend on God, it becomes like a pipeline that connects us directly to the grace of God. So we actually see five things. Normally I'm a three-point guy, but we see five ways that humility um, comes through in Mary's heart and enables her to experience the grace of God. So first of all this morning, that hum- Mary's humility prepares her to receive God's mercy. So verse 26, God sends the angel Gabriel to a city in the region of Galilee to a small town called Nazareth. Nazareth was a nothing town. It had a bad reputation. It was surprising that the mother of the Lord would be from there. Not only is it surprising that she's from there, but Gabriel is sent to visit a virgin. We see that beginning in verse 27, a woman who had never been with a man sexually. Um, Before this moment, Mary had thought of herself as just a normal girl going to school, living her life, as she was not expecting this. But on this night, her life would change in an instant. That she is a virgin is repeated three times in the first section, establishing this is very important theologically because the Lord, you know, Jesus needs to be both God and man. And so the fact that she has never been with a man 
shows that her uh, pregnancy is supernatural. It's from the Lord. So his father, Jesus' father is God Almighty, and his mother is Mary. Obviously a very unique theological point, but he is the God-man. But her virginity at the time of the angel's visit is also vital for us to understand the human element of the story. She's engaged to Joseph, who's not just any guy. He is of the house or line of David. And so Joseph's lineage is crucial, crucial to the story that ultimately Jesus would come from the line of David and he would take over the reign of David's line. So in verse 28, Gabriel says to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, I think Gabriel is doing everything he can to reassure her that this is going to be a positive, um, is going to be a positive and encouraging conversation. But still, when you see a gigantic, and the Jesus Story Bible does a great job of depicting this, when you see a big gigantic angel in your house, it's still scary. Uh, it's still not normal. And so she wondered, you know, what kind of a greeting this might be. It says she was greatly troubled and tried to discern what this was all about. So when God speaks to us in an unmistakable way, not usually through an angel, but when he speaks to us in an unmistakable way, our first response to him is often to this type of a holy disruption to be afraid. Why? It's because when God speaks to our hearts, and we know he's speaking to our hearts, it reminds us, you know, for, for a little while in little seasons of life, we actually think we're in charge. We kind of think we're making our own decisions, we're going about our lives, and then God shows up and he speaks, and we realize we're not in charge. We realize that clearly he's in charge. In this situation, Gabriel is the one who is giving these words. But from her response to the angel, by God's grace, we can see that Mary is already a humble person. Somehow God had already prepared her for this type of news that she would receive. And so amazingly, she does receive this life-disrupting news well. You know, that's not always the response that people have. If you think about the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, um, he had not been prepared uh, really before this. I guess his background in some way had, but he was actively persecuting the church. And so when Jesus showed up in his life, it was just, it was just like this breaknecking uh, moment where he, he just absolutely, he, he, was, he was blinded. He, he had to go through this period of time where he was utterly disrupted from this prideful course that he was on. It was the same way for me when God broke in in my life when I was about 20 years old. I was completely self-consumed, even though I went to church. Um, I, was, I was a master of doing both at the same time, going to church and yet being completely self-directed. It can easily happen, and, um, and the Lord just broke in on me in a Christmas service, and, and God, it was like on one hand, he was saying, you know, do you realize how full of yourself you really are, like telling me the truth and simultaneously telling me at the same time, but I really love you, and I was like, wow, the combination of God's knowledge of me, it was totally accurate, and yet his love for me that was there for me in my arrogance just broke me. And I mean, it's still like to, to learn to follow the Lord and receive his direction for my life. It's still, I have times when really I still vacillate between humbly following the Lord and getting into this pattern where I really want to 
to run my own life. I, I, just, I just kind of naturally fall back into that pattern. It's like we all, when you become a Christian, it's like the Lord says, I need the keys to the car, and you're like, amen, hallelujah, here you go. And he starts driving, and you're like, I want those keys back. And he's like, okay, go for it. And we drive a while, and you're like, you know what? I want you to drive. And then he drives, we're like, I want my keys back. And that's our entire, that's his entire life. And he's humble enough with us to be like, sure, try it again. Okay, I love you. Don't, you know, and hopefully the, the length of time that we drive is shorter and shorter every time before we recognize, you know what, I need God to drive. Maybe one day, maybe one day, I'll just let God drive and I'll, I'll stop asking for the keys back. But that's how it is with our lives. When God shows up, it's a holy disruption in our lives. And the way we respond to him, our humility means everything. We either receive his words or we don't. Mary is prepared by the Lord, and because she receives these words, she experiences God's grace. Next, because Mary is humble, she asks good questions. She asks good questions. Verse 30 and following says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, there's a lot for Mary to process that's going on here. That's a lot to process. First of all, an angel shows up, tells you even though you're 13 and you've never been with a man, you're pregnant. And because of the way this pregnancy is happening, actually this one is the son of God, and he's going to reign over everything. He's going to fulfill all of history. He's going to reign on the, on the throne of David. He's going to fulfill the house of Jacob and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Now, that's a lot to take in. And so, you know what? It's okay, and it's good that Mary asks questions. It's not that she doesn't believe Gabriel. She's just trying to figure out what exactly is going on here. How can I understand what you just said to me So she asks a follow-up question that's very smart. She says, how can this be since I am a virgin? Now, this is not a lack of faith on display. It's not like Zechariah in the previous uh, passage where he uh, responds cynically, basically like, well, that ain't going to happen. My old wife is not going to get pregnant. Mary's not asking from that standpoint of cynicism. She's just asking questions because she wants to understand what is going on. She's shocked. She's trying to be able to process what is happening here because this is not what her mother told her about how pregnancy happens. So few of us, no matter what answers we receive from the Lord, will have a holy disruption like Mary experienced. If you feel like when God starts breaking in on you that he's really changing the course of your life and it's hard to accept, well, it's not as hard as what it was for Mary. I can guarantee you that. So here she is. She's young Uh, She lives in an honor-shame culture. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. So uh, sexual disobedience at the age of 13 in that society would mean that, uh, first of all, her relationship with Joseph most likely would end. Uh, Her family would probably disown her. It would become known in the community what she had done. She would probably be ostracized from the community. Uh, At that time, women really couldn't have jobs. So basically her entire profession, professional life, her whole life in terms of who was going to Um, provide for her was on the line. 
this is what she has confronting her in this moment where Gabriel says, you're going to, you are pregnant. She's thinking about all the ways that this could be misunderstood by other people. And so she asks the question, what is going on? And Gabriel answers her in verse 35. This is how you can be a virgin and be with child. Uh, He says, God himself will miraculously conceive this child in you. God will overshadow you. And so it will be said that this child is the son of the Most High. Now, that's an answer, but it's still challenging to receive. This word overshadow is the same idea of the way God hovered over the waters in Genesis 1. He hovered over creation and brought life into the world. It's also the same word, the same idea for the the hovering that went over the people, over the Red Sea in Egypt when God parted the waters. And so in the same way, the Holy Spirit is at work, he is active, and he is doing something miraculous that only God can do. He's going to do his greatest work of all, which is the incarnation of his own son, Jesus Christ, in her. And so from this answer that she receives, which is a good answer, but still doesn't clear up all of her questions, she says, may it be to me as the Lord has said. Amazing, amazing response. So here's the takeaway in this section. When Jesus visits us with a holy disruption, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. In fact, you should ask questions. But if you can, ask those questions from the standpoint of faith. Instead of putting God on trial, like based on your answers, I will believe in you or not believe in you, try to ask the questions from the standpoint of, from the standpoint of, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I do believe, but help me understand the answers to these questions. The Lord does give us answers. Sometimes they're as straightforward um, and clear as Mary gets, even though it's not perfectly clear. And sometimes we don't get answers quite so clear. And so it's important that we take the next step of humility, which is Mary is humble, and so she surrenders to God's plans She surrenders to God's plans. So she gives an incredible response. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be to you as you have said. So first of all, what I notice here is that humility and humble surrender is an attitude. It's an attitude of the heart. There are no better words in all the Bible to demonstrate what a surrendered response to the Lord looks like. And when Jesus visits us with his presence, we're called to surrender to his plans. And as I said earlier, it's not like Mary had nothing to lose here, right? She had, from a social standpoint, she had everything to lose. From her own, the own chart of plans that she thought she was going to be living, everything was changing, and yet God broke in on her, and she surrendered completely to the Lord. That's, that's a humble response to the Lord. And so I would ask you, have you ever surrendered your life to the Lord? Has that ever been a response that you've given to him where you have yielded your will to the Lord's will and you have surrendered yourself to him? God is calling us to surrender our lives to him. If you're a Christian, then you have surrendered your life to him before. That's how you become a Christian at the beginning, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is how Christianity begins, and this is how Christianity should continue. Uh, we should live surrendered lives 
to the Lord. For some of us, it may have been a long time since we've surrendered to the Lord. Originally, we said, God, I want you to drive, and then we took the keys back, and we've been driving for a really long time, a really long time. And we're actually not driving very well. It's actually very frustrating, and God is calling us to follow him. We need to say, I am your servant. I follow you. So surrender is an attitude. It's also an action. It's not just an attitude. It's also an action. It says in verse 39 that Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to visit Elizabeth. So she went with haste. She did not delay. Mary followed the instruction of the Lord immediately as God instructed her. So if you're a new believer or you've been a believer for a long time, the second step in surrender is following the Lord quickly, uh, obediently, immediately. It's not delaying our obedience to the Lord. We need to make haste to follow Christ. Even in a worship service, it's easy to come and to listen and to confess and to sing and and and. And leave unchanged. And yet in the service sometimes, or, or maybe it's in a conversation with other people, or maybe it's in your reading of the Bible on your own, the Lord is at work in you, and he's saying, I want you to follow me. I want you to repent of this sin. I want you to encourage this brother or sister. I want you to give generously in this way with your time or your talent or your treasure. And, and we know that the Lord has been at work, and we just go on. You know, we, we just live, we, we just go on. And, and we don't really act on that. But, but surrendering to the Lord means that we make haste to follow Jesus. The third element of surrendering to the Lord that has to do with humility is that humble surrender is fueled by friendship. It's fueled by friendship. You know, it's incredibly strategic that God calls Mary to go visit Elizabeth. Why does he do this? Well, they need each other at this time. They both are um, going through miraculous pregnancies that no one understands. Elizabeth's like 80, and Mary's like 13 or 14, and they're totally different situations, um, but yet related in the fact that this was unexpected, and they needed each other. And I often wonder, when I'm reading through these, this passage, I wonder, I wonder what it was like for Mary on the first morning that she experienced morning sickness. You know, you know there had to be a part of her, even though she believed the Lord, she wasn't showing, but the first morning she, she had morning sickness, she knows she was thinking, oh my goodness, I am pregnant. Who can understand me? Joseph? Maybe. Maybe not. Um, but Elizabeth can understand. Elizabeth can understand. Elizabeth had to think, who can understand me? Who can understand me? And yet she needed Mary, they needed each other, they needed one another. And how much, how much confirmation was it for Mary when she shows up and she's not even showing, she's maybe just having morning sickness for the first time. And, and Elizabeth, the John the Baptist, she's about six months pregnant with John the Baptist, and inside of her, when Mary shows up carrying baby Jesus in utero, that her baby leaps inside of her at the moment that she sees Mary it's another confirmation that, God, this is really happening. God is telling the truth. The Son of God really is growing inside of me. I find it beautiful that God is interested in encouraging us. That he didn't just say, hey, Mary, 
I want you to have my son. Thank you for being the willing servant. Go for it. No, along the way, all along the way, he is calling us to follow him, but he is bringing encouragement into our lives. You know, we all need to be people who do not carry Christ alone. We don't carry him alone in our lives. We need other people around us. You're not meant to carry the gospel alone. It's too hard. It's too discouraging. There are points along the way where we get too uh, confused. We need other people. We need fellowship. We need community. We need people around us who will make the gospel inside of us leap again. Do you have people in your life that you're around that when you're around them, they actually help you to, to believe the gospel just a little bit more. They actually, there's these moments when the gospel leaps inside of you. It's something that the Lord has given to this person uniquely for you that enables you to make your, the, the baby inside of you, the gospel inside of you leap for joy because of what this other person does to encourage you. We all need community like that. It's part of the way the Lord has called us to walk together. Don't carry Jesus alone. In humility, find a friend who will fuel your hope in Jesus. So humility leads us to surrender. Surrender in attitude, action, and then in friendship as well. The fourth uh, way that Mary has this humility that is like a pipeline to experience the gospel is that because she is humble, she's able to truly and freely worship. She's able to truly and freely worship the Lord. So this song that she sings in the last part of the passage that was read for us this morning, it's called the Magnificat. It's one of the most famous songs in all of Christianity. And what you find here within the song is both something that is lyrically true and that is uh, soulfully free. And I think that's what good music is. That's what, that's what worship should be like for us. First of all, it needs to be true. It's worship that is true. So we can look at why is she singing in, in these verses. So in verse 46, 47, 50, and 50 through 53, she's singing because God is sending Jesus to be her Savior. So she is carrying her own Savior inside of her. She calls God my Savior. And when you make the transition from calling Jesus the Savior, a Savior, to my Savior, you sing differently. It's not just true. It's not just lyrically true, but you sing it differently because it hits you differently. Humility changes the gospel from something that's generally true to something that's personally true. The second thing she's singing, lyrically true, is she's singing because God is extending salvation to normal people, not special people. So she sees herself, and she's right. She's a normal person. She's a normal person. She is not a special, she's not from a special town. She's not from a special family. She's normal. Everybody thought Mary was normal before God said, hey, Mary, I got this thing for you to do that's really important. She's normal. And she's praising God that she is a, is a normal, broken person that God is choosing people like her. And that should humble us too. Humble people know that there's nothing special about them. That whatever is actually special is a gift from God. I can, I can speak in front of people. A lot of people think that's really a special thing. It's just what, it's a, it's a gift God gave me. You can sit with people and, and show them mercy. You may, you're so, you can be so generous 
to other people. You can be so wise, but yet that's a gift that God has given you. And humble people recognize that every gift we have is just from the Lord. Third point here about the lyrics that she sings is that she's singing because God is doing this saving mercy in Christ through her. I mean, she's looking at this and going, I can't believe, instead of being like, you know, woe is me, I'm giving up my whole social status. She's like, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe it. I can't believe God chose me. I'm blown away that God thinks that highly of me. Why would he think that highly of me? She's humbled that God is doing this work through her. It took her even deeper into humility. And then verse, uh, the fourth thing that's lyrically true, 54 and 55, she's singing because God is a God who keeps his promises, that the promises that God made to Abraham and to David and to Jacob, that all of those are going to come true. She's singing because for her, her life growing up, as she'd been in synagogue or in church or whatever she was doing there to worship, um, she had been thinking about and been taught about all of these covenants and these promises that God had given to his people. And over these years of darkness, people had begun to wonder, is, when is God going to fulfill this? Is he going to do it? Is he going to break through the darkness? And she's singing like he is, and he's somehow doing it through me. He's going to fulfill all these promises. God is a promise-keeping God. So there's true lyrics, and, and that's so important in worship. But the second element of worship that's so important that is part of humility as well, it's worship that is free. And so this is not why are we singing, this is how are we singing. How are we worshiping? So we don't just need to get the lyrics right, we need to get our expression or our experience right. And this Magnificat has been commonly sung in monasteries, it's been chanted in cathedrals, it's been sung at evening candlelights, and though those styles of music are beautiful, those very likely do not capture the emotional tone of Mary's song. Um, I think it's still beautiful to go to services like that. But Mary was a 13-year-old girl from the ancient Near East. She'd never been to a cathedral and never would go to one. Never been to a candlelight service, never will go to one. She did it differently. And we, it's hard to tell emotional tone from words on a page, um, but she starts out by telling us, my soul and my spirit are rejoicing in God, in the Lord. So she's telling us what she's doing and what it's like. And we can think if John the Baptist leapt in the womb, in utero, when he was around Jesus, is there any reason to think why Mary wouldn't be dancing, maybe moving around a little bit as she was singing this song of joy to the Lord? Let me be clear. You can worship God in any style of music. It, the style isn't important. What's important is the soul. What's important is the heart. What's important is that the gospel, this news we've received in Jesus Christ, is the greatest news that could ever be told, ever be received, and therefore it should be received with wholehearted expression, soulful expression to the Lord, and humility has to do with that. As we humbly receive this from the Lord, he can free us up. Now listen, I'm not saying that we should be intentionally emotional or move around because it's better that way. No, I'm just saying that the words of the gospel and the truth of the gospel, no matter what cultural background you're from, whether you're from a more hot culture that's it's more emotional and 
uh, or whether you're from a more cold culture that's more cerebral, whatever, it should impact you. It should impact you deeply. Wow. Amen. I guess that's, that's the end of point four. Um, all right. So we're back on. All right. So Mary is humble. And so uh, the fifth thing is that Mary is humble. This is important, so don't lose your train of thought. Um, finally, Mary is humble, and so she waits with gospel hope. She waits with gospel hope. So I know you may be saying, wait a second, I thought you said that humility leads us to urgent action. Well, it it can, and it it sometimes does, but there's also times when humility leads us to wait with gospel hope, wait for much longer than we might have wanted to wait. Uh, There's part of the story, too, where the next thing that happens in the story is she ends up you know, there's a census called, we'll talk about this on Christmas, you know, but census called, and, you know, in her last week of pregnancy, she has to ride a donkey 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I mean, I know she was humble, but she had to have her moments where she was like, really? This is God's plan? This is, I mean, come on. I mean, I've obviously never been pregnant, but I cannot imagine how, how awful that is. I'm just going to keep going. Um, can't imagine how awful that is. And, and so she must have had some interesting conversations with Joseph along the way. Um, and so then they get there, and there's no Airbnb, there's no Hotels.com, and they're trying to find a place to stay, and there's no room in the inn, famously. So she ends up giving birth to the Son of God in a stable. And again, she has to be thinking, really? Is it? You know, I thought I'd at least get a, a room. Um, I know, I, I'm, I'm not trying to project onto her what she was feeling, but I'm just saying from the human side, it had to be surprising that this was the plan. And yet then the shepherds show up. Olivia and I were talking about it this morning, that the only way the shepherds knew how to find Jesus is because he was born in a barn. The angels come and declare that the Son of God has come, and this is how you'll find him. He's going to be born in a barn. And this is also, again, God sent Mary to Elizabeth for her encouragement, and now the Lord sends the shepherds to Mary, yes, to praise Jesus, but also to affirm to Mary that, hey, yes, this actually is the plan. I'm going to send shepherds. The only way they're going to find Jesus is he's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Otherwise, they don't find Jesus. And so it says there in Luke 2, 19, that Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. I find myself often doing that as a Christian, where I have gospel hope, I have a hope in Christ that I I'm, I'm, I'm truly believe, believe it's true, and yet when I look out at the world around me and I look at it sometimes at my own life and the suffering that people go through, I'm like, how does this work? As I hold on to gospel hope and I live out like you do into the gray, into the complexity of life, I wonder, how is this all going to make sense? And I think that's what Mary was doing. Mary had this unique perspective, right? She's one of the only people in the world at this time. One of the very few people, probably more than anyone at this point in time, that understands the gospel. She understands God's plan at some level that no one else really gets. And yet, What is she called to do? She's called 
not to go out right at the moment and take that word to the streets, but to be patient in God's unfolding plan that in time, yes, her son would be the son of God. It's kind of a power surge. Something that's so weird. Wow. Okay, cool. Um, so, um, along with that point. Um, so, a, a lot of times, you, you know, at Mary, she must have thought at times when she was listening to other moms talk about how smart their kids were, that she wanted to be like, hey, listen, my son's really smart. Um, or, you know, people making fun of her because she had her first baby in a barn. She wanted to be like, hey, actually, angels came, and there's a lot of things that went on that were really cool. Um, but she couldn't say any of that stuff. I mean, that had to be, at times, so frustrating. Um, just to hold on to the hope of the gospel and to let other people wonder about what is happening. And she, it wasn't her responsibility to share all of that right now. And as you walk with other people, um, you will know things about how God is at work in them if you know them well. I often find myself in the situation as a pastor where I know a lot about what's going on with you and other people and what God's doing in their life, and yet that's not my story to share. That's your story to share, and so my responsibility is to hold on to gospel hope. Hold on to hope for you, and, and you know, occasionally other people will be like, hey, so-and-so, it seems like they're really down right now, and I'm like, yeah, they are. You should pray for them. I could, I could alleviate some concern by sharing something, not my place. We often, as we walk with other people, have this hope of the gospel, and we have knowledge that other people don't have, and we hold on to it because the Lord is calling us to do that. Maybe it's with your children. Sometimes, you know, your kids might come in, and, and they're in a bad mood, and they decide that they're going to go after how crazy it is to believe in God and to follow him and how nothing makes sense about this whole thing. And in your heart, what you want to do is you want to just, like, lay into an apologetics outline or, you know, go on and on about all these things. And yet you know that it's just not the right time for that. And so you hold on to gospel hope, knowing that there will be a time, there will be a right time for them to understand these things. And you pray for that. You know, all of the Christian life between the gospel and receiving it and heaven is lived in, in between this holding on to gospel hope and looking out into the gray and wondering at what God is doing. I think that is actually normal Christianity. We don't have all the answers, but we do have the answer. We have Christ. And so we, we walk out and live out our faith into the future. I'll close with this. Um, how does humility impact your walk with the Lord? You know, humility is like a highway to receive the gospel of grace, to live in the gospel of grace. Humility is also a highway to asking good questions. It's the way that we surrender our lives to the Lord and follow him. It's the way that we begin to live into true and free worship. And um, it's the way that we hold on to gospel hope as we live out into the gray. So apparently this sermon was one that you probably really needed to hear because that has never happened um, in about the thousand times I've preached in any setting. So 
Um, whatever um, you can take hold of in humility and receive uh, from the Lord in this passage, I encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that in the um, disruptions of our lives that you are there. Some of those disruptions are unwanted. We don't understand why, and yet you're there. We thank you that you are with us, Father. I thank you that in the story of Mary, we have not only her humble response, but we have you going over the top, above and beyond, to encourage her all along the way and to confirm in her heart again and again that, yes, even though this disruption is a challenge, it's a real challenge, that you are with her, you see her, and you love her. And so I pray, God, today for each and every one of us that we would, with humility, receive the good news of the gospel of grace and it would impact our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.